Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. So I began to pray, you know, God, where would you have me go? I'm excited. On Sunday mornings here in 2020, we're going to spend just a few weeks here in the beginning of the year talking about the character of the church. What should the church be in light of God's Word? And then uh, about five or six weeks after that, we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians and walk through that and see what God's Word has to say for us. Particularly, we're going to call that series, Your Grace finds me. It's a beautiful book on God's grace and how, how, how not only, not only at God's grace, but then how do we live the Christian life in light of that grace, all right? On Wednesdays, as I've sought the Lord, Lord, what, what would you have me do? Um, for some reason, God has just drawn me to the book of Leviticus here in the beginning of the year. And part of that is, as I was kind of looking back through my preaching records, I've been preaching now for, um, you know, regularly now for Oh, what, 2008? So, like, this is like my 12th year, I guess, of preaching. Uh, you know, full-time, uh, you know, Sundays, Sunday nights, Wednesdays, all throughout the years um, for the most part. And uh, I've never, I, I, could, I could find only one message I've ever preached from the book of Leviticus. And as I think about it, it's one of the most important theological books in the Bible, okay? And so uh, God has drawn me to that. And then coming out of that, all right, coming out of that, uh, it won't be a long stay. We're not going to go verse by verse through Leviticus because, you know, that would just be, that would just be really tough, okay? Um, coming out of that, though, we're going to jump into the book of Romans and do chapter 12 through chapter 15. If you'll remember, uh, Romans chapter 12 begins with, basically, therefore, be a living sacrifice, okay? And so the, the book of Leviticus is all about sacrifice and all those things. And so I think it's really going to help us to sort of set up the book of Romans then on how to be a living sacrifice, to give us a context of what that means and what that, uh, how we live that out, okay? So just to give you just a, sort of a, a, an overview of where we're going on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And uh, guys, 2020 is here, and I am... Uh, I'm as pumped as ever to, to preach and teach God's word. It's so rich, it's so good, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to stand and preach it uh, with you all, okay? So Hebrews chapter 6, you're saying, I thought you said we we're going to Leviticus, okay? Stick with me, all right? God has given us a new year, and with a new year, most folks have come up with New Year's resolutions, all right? Anybody, anybody here do that? No? I don't blame you. <laughs> Because for many Christians, when you think about it, uh, you know, revelation, revel, <laughs> resolutions uh, as a whole, um, I was telling the East Campus on Sunday, the trick to resolutions is, is don't set the bar too high, okay? You know, set a little lower so you can achieve it, all right? Get some steam going. But for many Christians, a, a New Year's resolution that they often make, and it's a good resolution to make, is I'm going to read the whole Bible through this year. I'm going to read the entire Bible. And for many folks, it starts out really good. Genesis is so good with all of its narratives and all that stuff that's there in that, all of its well-known characters. I mean, the narrative of Joseph crescendoing in, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for, I mean, it's like, yes! You know, we love the book of Genesis. 
And then we get into Exodus. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, and it's just easy with its overarching story of God bringing Israel out of slavery. I mean, they've made big movies, right? Hollywood on the book of Exodus. I mean, it's just a great, great story as God reveals to it. It's great stuff. But then they get to Leviticus. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of a tar pit? A tar pit is a natural phenomenon where a type of petroleum that we call asphalt and I know, Shannon, you could give us every detail on this. You've probably even been to them. Have you been to a tar pit? There's a lot of them in California. Where? Yes, yeah. I, I, I read about that one. So uh, basically, this, this type of petroleum we call asphalt, it, it naturally seeps up from the ground. And it's lighter components, it evaporates, and it becomes this really thick, tarry substance. And these occur at various places all over the world. But in America, California is that hot spot. I mean, they've got one in Los Angeles, one near Santa Barbara, one near, um, one near Bakersfield. And just over the centuries, tar pits have proven to really be dangerous, right? Many, many, many animals, even woolly mammoths back in the day, died in these tar pits. They're great paleontolog uh, paleontological. Anyway, they're a great place to find fossils. <laughs> well, in thinking about the book of Leviticus, Leviticus is certainly the word of God. Praise God for it. But it's often the Bible reading plans when a tar pit is to an animal. Your Bible reading plan may go into Leviticus, but your Bible reading plan ain't coming out of Leviticus a lot of times, okay? It's tough reading. It's all these rules and regulations. I know Clint Purrier loves to read policy and procedure manuals. He loves that stuff, all right? Um, but it's tough reading, all right? Now, you can't make heads or tell us of it a lot of time. And it just seems so foreign to us, so different from the life that we live and the way that we are called to worship God in our day. And guys, I totally get it. I totally get it. I can remember a few years back, Christy and I had decided um, to take the whole family through the Bible in that year. We're, we're just going to do it. At supper time, we're going to take a passage of scripture and read it. And we were doing really, really well. I mean, if you can just imagine doing that with your entire family, we had gotten all the way into the book of Leviticus. We had made it and we were going through Leviticus. It was going great. Our designated time to do it was at supper time, all right? And so you got to eat. And then, you know, it's kind of like I tell the kids, right? Um, you know, um, Boys that can't play instruments can't play sports. I mean, things like there's just, you know, and so it's like you, if, if you can't read the Bible tonight, you can't eat, all right? So we has kind of made that rule to give us some accountability there. But all of a sudden, as we're making our way through Leviticus, we got to all them nasty skin diseases, <laughs> right? And I guess it was the combination of supper and talking about boils and pus, <laughs> we didn't make it out of Leviticus. The, the tar pit got us. I guess it just reminded Christy of all those bad medical cases that she's had to see over the years, all right? But we didn't make it out of it. Well, I'll say to you this, this, this evening, never fear, your help is here, all right? Over the next month or so, I'm going to throw you a rope to help you escape the tar pit that Leviticus so often is, all right? Your Bible reading plan will thank me, all right? So, guess what that rope is? As you think about Leviticus, what is the rope that I'm going to throw you to pull you on through Leviticus? The rope is none other than Jesus Christ, right? None other than Jesus Christ. You see, one of the reasons that we get stuck in Leviticus is that we read it disconnected 
from the rest of the Bible, from the rest of the revelation of God. And so what's been missing in our readings of Leviticus so often is Christ. That's what's been missing. It seems so irrelevant to us because we don't understand how it sets up Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, all those things. So tonight we're beginning a series called The Code, Leviticus in Light of the New Covenant. And as I said earlier, we're not going to divide, we're not going to dive in to Leviticus tonight. Um, we're actually uh, going to do some pre-Leviticus work tonight. So before we dive into Leviticus, it's important for us to lay a groundwork for rightly understanding the book. So instead of Leviticus, I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews 6 tonight. Hebrews 6. So here's tonight's truth that I just want to kind of just lay, just, just lay down the, 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 the groundwork, the framework for us tonight. And it's this, is that if we are going to understand Leviticus rightly, we must understand it in light of the new covenant as a preparation for Christ. So that's tonight's truth. I just want to kind of just... Lay that foundation tonight as we dig into the book of Leviticus uh, over about, I think it's about five messages uh, over the, uh, sort of as an overview of Leviticus, all right? So would you pray with me tonight? Father, we're excited to dig into your word, and I ask God that you'd help us to do it. I pray that tonight would not only be beneficial to us understanding Leviticus, but helping us to understand all of the Old Testament, Lord. Um, as I think about the Old Testament, uh, I'm so thankful for it, Father, but so often it's so hard to understand. And I pray that tonight would just help us to just to shine some light in on that so that we can have a better understanding, so that we can know your, your, your word and how to apply it to our lives. So, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. And, and Father, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice tonight who has never turned and trusted in Christ, and I pray that even tonight, God, with what we're talking about, that you would, God, rise up <laughs> and save them even tonight. Call them unto yourself and save them even tonight, Lord. We pray that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. All right, so as we think about this truth tonight, if we're gonna understand Leviticus rightly, we must understand it in light of the new covenant as preparation for Christ, all right? If we're gonna do that, then first, we've gotta understand something about the Bible, the nature of the Bible, and it's this, that the Bible is a progressive revelation that is now closed, all right? The Bible is a progressive revelation that is now closed. Now, by progressive, I know that makes some folks uncomfortable when they hear that word, right? Because in some circles, it has a negative connotation, all right? But we're not talking about the Bernie Sanders kind of progressive here. Um, when we use the word progressive, when we say progressive revelation, here's what we mean by that. Just very simply, it means this. It means that not all of God's truth was given to us through the Bible at one time. It was delivered over a span of time, progressively, bit by bit, piece by piece, until we have the fullness of what we have now in Scripture. So that's what we mean by progressive revelation, all right? It was given over time. In fact, if you look at what scholars have to say, and I'm so thankful for scholars. I'm so thankful for the men and women who dedicate themselves to... Bible history and, and, and manuscripts and all this stuff and translation is so important. It's so important. But scholars believe the Bible is written over about a 1,500-year span. 1,500 years from about, uh, from about 1,400 B.C. 
Either Genesis or Job was first, probably. 1400 BC in that neighborhood, all the way forward 1500 years or so until the book of Revelation came around year AD 90. So year 90 here in the year of our Lord, all right? So 1500 years. It didn't all come at once. That's why when you look here in the Old Testament, so many things seem foreign to your experience in church is because God has progressively given us more light over time to where what we experience now in the new covenant is very different from what we see in the old covenant, all right? Not only was it over 1,500 years, but out of the 66 books that we recognize as the Bible, those books were written by at least 40 different authors. Now, this is important for me to say this, okay? When I talk about progressive revelation, I'm not saying that God delivered truth and then he contradicted that truth on going forward. That's not how progressive revelation works. That's not how the Bible works. It is all truth. We have truth from the very beginning. But as we go forward, we have more truth telling it all. As I I think about a way to illustrate this for us, any of you guys like putting together puzzles? Any of y'all do that? Yeah, I know Miss Miss Jessie loves puzzles, right? That's one of her things that she loves to do. And just think about progressive revelation in that sense. Let's, let's say that you did not have the box top. <laughs> I always got to have the box top, right? But just think for a moment, if you did not have the box top and you had just a piece of that puzzle, that puzzle is true, right? It's there, it's the picture, it, it, it's, but it's just a part of it, just a piece of it. And so you put that in there and then progressively as you work out that puzzle, bit by bit, piece and piece, you see, oh wait, I've got this corner over here. I've got... I've got five, six, seven, eight pieces together. Oh, I can see a whatever. I can see a flower in that or whatever else. And so you just keep putting it together piece by piece, bit by bit until you have the full picture. And that's the way I think about when I think about a way to illustrate progressive revelation, all right? Progressive, it's, it's kind of like a one puzzle piece at a time. But I said there in the beginning here that the Bible is a progressive revelation that is now closed, right? The canon, as we call it, the standard of God's word is closed. For instance, it says this in Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. It says, Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so what that base, what, what, what the writer, the author of Hebrews is telling us, what God is telling us through the book of Hebrews there in the beginning there, is that Jesus is the climax of redemptive revelation. He is the last piece of the puzzle, okay? For everything we know, everything we need to know about worshiping God and having a relationship with God, all right? So that Hebrews kind of points us that. And, and then we think about even, even in, in, in the book of Revelation, we have this in Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, thinking about the canon, the Bible, Revelation being closed. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life 
and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now, obviously, right there, when, when John is saying that, uh, the apostle John is saying that, who God uh, gave the book of Revelation through, he's primarily talking about the book of Revelation. But by extension, the book of Revelation is the last book in the canon. And if we can't add or take away from what's there, then we can't add or take away to any of it, right? And so, I mean, in that sense, the canon is closed. Everything that we have in the Scripture is what God has for us until Christ returns. We are not looking for any more new information. So that's important. So the progression has stopped, right? The Bible is a progressive revelation, but the revelation has stopped. The progression has stopped. So when we think about, just again, looking at the Bible, thinking about what is it that drives that progressive revelation forward, and the thing that we see in the Old Testament in particular and coming into the New Testament is that it is the covenants that drive revelation forward. That's how God interacts with humanity and drives revelation of himself and his plan forward. So for instance, there are six covenants in the scripture. Six major covenants. First, you see the, what we would call the Adamic covenant, the, the covenant with Adam, all right? That covenant of works. And then going forward, we see the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. And then we come into the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant with Abraham. And moving forward then, we come into what is called the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant with Moses, or what we more commonly call the Old Covenant, or the law. The Old Covenant, all right? So you've got that. After that Old Covenant, there's that Davidic Covenant, where God says, tells David, I'm, I, you, you're going to have a... Um, your, your children, uh, an heir of yours, uh, uh, a successor of yours will be on the throne forever. And then finally, we have that sixth covenant that we see in Scripture, and that is the new covenant. That's what drives revelation forward in the Bible here, okay? With each new covenant, guys, we get more and more revelation, right? Another piece of the puzzle from God until the fullness of revelation is given us in the new covenant, all right? So here's the question as we think about the book of Leviticus, under which covenant would the book of Leviticus fall? The answer, the covenant with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, or the new covenant? Which one would you say? Noah? What I heard of what? Moses. Yeah, it falls under the Moses one. Right? So Leviticus is the old covenant, all right? So when you think about the old covenant, just kind of walking through there. Really, the, the, the covenant with Noah and the covenant with David is, in one sense, a bit of a side covenant in one sense. All right. But you've got the covenant with Abraham. He tells Abraham, Abraham, uh, you're going to be the father of a nation. You're going to be a father of many nations. Many nations are going to come from you. He makes a covenant with, with, with Abraham. And, uh, but as you see going along here, out of out of Abraham's loins, God doesn't make a covenant with all of his children. He makes a covenant with whom? Which child? 
Isaac. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. And then with Isaac, Isaac has two sons. And Isaac's two sons are who? Jacob and Esau. Again, God doesn't carry that covenant forward with both of those children. He carries it forward with Jacob. And through Jacob, we get the nation of Israel, okay? And so uh, the 12 tribes, the 12, the, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, all that come from Jacob. Jacob's name is changed. God changes his Jacob's name to Israel, all right? And that happens in which book of the Bible? That happens in Genesis. It's, it's early on, right? We burn through a lot of covenants right there. Boom, boom, boom. And so from, well, from Exodus to the Gospel of Matthew, the rest of the Old, Old Testament, that is the Mosaic Covenant. That is the Old Covenant, all right? And so Leviticus falls in that. Um, Leviticus is part of what we, would, what we would theologically call the Pentateuch, the five books, five, Pentefi, Pente, you know, Pentateuch, Pentefive. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All written by Moses, okay? So, as you think about that then, so this is under the Mosaic Covenant. Leviticus falls under the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant. That's where the tabernacle is established. That's where the priesthood in the tribe of Levi was established. You hear Levi in Leviticus. We could say it Leviticus, make it easier, right? But Leviticus literally means the book of the Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe. All right, and this was basically the policy and procedure manual for the priests as they led the people to rightly worship God under the Old Covenant. So we have to realize then as we dig into Leviticus here, it's not operating in the last covenant to come. There is more to come. There's a reason why we don't do everything that's in this book. And let's be honest. I mean, let's, let's jump forward to 2020 here. I know we haven't had enough time to have a lot of stones thrown at us yet in 2020, but it's going to happen some more. 2019, a lot of stones. One of the things they, uh, that, that, that skeptics and, and atheists and, you know, antichrists, all those folks typically throw at us is that you guys don't, y'all don't believe the Bible. Y'all just pick and choose. I mean, y'all don't sow the two, the same, you don't sow different seeds together or, or not together. You, you, you mix your threads. I mean, they, they point all these things out of the Levitical code, right, out of the old covenant. They say, well, y'all don't do that. Y'all are against this, but boy, you, you ignore that. So you're just picking and choosing so you can pick on people and make them feel bad about themselves. And what they don't understand is that the new covenant was still to come, and in the new covenant, we get more light to help us understand how to rightly apply all that to us. So as we look at the book of Leviticus, there's going to be a lot of things in here, guys, that will not directly apply to us, but it's still very important for us to know it, to understand it, and to um, apply it particularly in light of Christ, all right? So, that's the first thing to think about here, that the Bible is a progressive revelation, but it's now closed. Secondly, think about this with me tonight, okay? In, in interpreting and applying the Bible, we must employ the right hermeneutic, all right? Now, when I say hermeneutic, you might think, Herman who? 
you know? Hermeneutic, that's just a fancy word that basically means Bible interpretation. Uh, it's sort of the science or the discipline of interpreting Scripture, all right? Not only what does it mean, but how do I apply it? It takes both of those. And to do that, guys, we need two methods, two approaches, all right? I'm not trying to be technical here, but I, I, I want to, you take this and put it in your own words. So I'm going to give it to you in this way, and then you, you call it whatever you want, okay, as long as you get these two concepts in your brain, all right? The two methods or the two approaches, one is called grammatical historical. Grammatical historical is simply this. What did the author mean in the day that he wrote it? When he delivered that, who was the author? Um, what was his context? Who was he writing to? What, what did he mean by that? And how would his audience have understood what they're reading? So that's what we call the grammatical historical method. It's very important, right? Because we understand that the truth of God's word is tied to the author that it was delivered through, right? God delivered it through someone for a reason in that moment. So we've got to understand the context and all that and understand it. What did it mean for those people in that day? But that's not enough for us because, again, the Bible is a progressive revelation. So we have to come alongside and, and, and add a second approach. And we call it this, not the grammatical historical approach, but secondly, the redemptive historical approach. All right, now the redemptive historical approach, you hear redemption history in that, right? Redemption history. In other words, how does this that we're reading and understanding in that context, how does it relate to us where we sit in the history of redemption? Because we're no longer under the old covenant, right? When we're looking at, the, the, when we're looking at Leviticus, we in redemption history are in the new covenant. We're past that, right? We're not under that. We're, we're, we're under the new covenant, which means this. And this is one of the principles that we really need to take to heart when we think about trying to understand the Old Testament. We must read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Very important for us. Otherwise, you will misunderstand the Bible. All right? And so the book of Hebrews, that's why we're going to the book of Hebrews here for just a moment. The book of Hebrews really helps us to do that because a lot of the things that's addressed here in chapters 6 through 10 are addressed in the book of Leviticus, all right? You're going to, tell, you're going to hear it talk about priests. You're going to hear him talk about the tabernacle. You're going to hear him talk about sacrifices and all these things. And we're just going to take a few moments tonight and read through this, all right? And so um, we're going to read through some of this. So let's go here for just a moment, just some select passages here, all right? First, let's go, to, let's go to Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. Who would read that for us tonight? Thank you. So there we have Melchizedek introduced, right? He's saying this is, a, this is a different order. Melchizedek was not a Levite, right? He was of the order of Melchizedek. 
<laughs> himself, right? He was sort of his own standard here. And so as he's setting all that up here, we just read forward here, and we, 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 we see down here, um, look at verse 4. Verse 4 and, and 5. Verse 4 and 5, it says, See how this great man, this, I'm sorry, chapter 7, Hebrews 7, verse 4 and 5. See how this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. And these descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, those who are descended from Abraham. But this man does not have descent from, from, uh, uh, from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. He goes on down further. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In other words, he's saying here, that Melchizedek was of greater um, importance, a greater station than the Levitical priesthood, all right? And then you go down here into the next section here of Leviticus, uh, I'm sorry, of, of, of Hebrews 7, and we see that Jesus Christ is compared to Melchizedek. And he says all throughout here that Jesus is that high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Christ is the greater revelation of the priest that we're looking for. So as we're going to read here in the book of Leviticus, we're going to read about how the priests were to do this and to do that. The, the book of Leviticus reminds us that we're waiting for a perfect high priest in Jesus Christ. Those guys could do nothing to affect salvation at all, but Christ could. Skip on down to, to chapter 8. Chapter 8, the title in mind is that Jesus, high priest of a better covenant, all right? Look at verse 1. Now, the point, is, is, the point in what we're saying is this, verse 1, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And he's going to go through and he's going to show how the Old Covenant and the Levitical things we're going to read in Leviticus. Don't do it. Don't really save us. They just set us up for salvation. Not only that, but skip it on further. You know, you just see in chapter 9, talking about the, the tabernacle and the sacrifices, the bloods of bulls and goats. Can't do it. You're going to see that in Leviticus. But it takes something greater than that, and that is the, as we see in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law, just reading down, for since the law has but a shadow, the law, Leviticus, is just a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices continually being offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So we're looking. Leviticus is going to set us up for, oh my goodness, I've got to, slaughter another bull I've got to slaughter another goat will this ever stop year after year after year and God comes in in redemptive history and says yes Jesus is the end to all of that he is the once for all sacrifice so we have to understand that so as we're reading Leviticus we're not just looking at the Grammar, you know, the, the grammatical historical approach. We're not just saying, what did Moses mean when he wrote this? 
We've got to put it in context of redemptive history and say, how does this apply to us so that we can rightly understand it today and apply it today? Third, just really quickly, we've got to recognize the shadow substance. Did you hear the word shadow in there when I was reading that in Hebrews? The shadow substance and the promise fulfillment motifs of Scripture. So Leviticus, as we read this, is going to be shadows, what the Scripture calls shadows. Colossians 2.17 illustrates this really well. Colossians 2.17. Colossians 2.17. Who would read that for us tonight? Great passage here. Thanks, Jesse. So that's talking about the old covenant. Those things are shadows. But the real deal, the real thing is Christ. Uh, we just read this a moment ago, uh, or kind of skipped over it, but Hebrews 8, 5. Hebrews 8, 5. This is talking about the priests. Hebrews 8, 5. Who would read that for us? There you go. So there's that, sh- that, that word shadow again. Help us understand that Leviticus, as we're going to read it, is a shadow of the substance that is Christ. And then finally, I, I just read Hebrews 10.1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it cannot save us. Just to kind of sum up the rest of that verse there. So guys, you've got to understand that that shadow substance, that promise fulfillment motif in Scripture, that it's really important for us to see that. So that may make you wonder, then why in the world would we even look at Leviticus? If it's a shadow, why would we even look at it? And that's the final thing I want to look at here, just briefly with you, is that even if a passage is no longer directly applicable, and Leviticus isn't in a lot of ways directly applicable <coughs> to us, The majority of it is not. It is still endlessly relevant to us. It always will be relevant to us, all right? Here's what I mean by that. The book of Leviticus, even though, again, we're not living under that code, under that old covenant, here's what it does. It reveals God's character. It reveals our sinfulness. And it prepares us to rejoice in Christ. As you read Leviticus and as we study over the next, you know, next five weeks, I, I, I just want you to put yourself in one sense in their shoes. Now, the, Levitica, the, the Levitical code was good. It was gracious. It, it was a lot of things. But it was never meant to save them. It was only meant to prepare them for the Savior and the world for the Savior. So just as a quick overview as we close up here, here's what we're going to look at, these five or six messages, uh, five messages. It's this. So we're going to look at chapters one through seven next week, which is going to look at the grace of our God and the cost of sin. We're going to look at the sacrificial code. How something must die in order for us to have our sins forgiven. Chapters 8 through 10, secondly, we're going to look at God's provision of a mediator where he sets up the priesthood, all right? 
Third, we're going to look at a verse, uh, chapters 11 through 15, which sort of share the requirements of those who approach God in worship. It's going to kind of reveal God's holiness and that God's worship is a serious thing. Third, we're going to look at verse, uh, chapter 16 and 17. that's going to foreshadow forgiveness of sin in the one mediator, Christ Jesus. And then finally, chapters 18 through 27, we're going to look at how God's people are to be holy as God is holy. And so I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a challenge. Um, it's going to be a stretch for all of us. But I, I challenge you guys to read through over the next month to read through the book of, Levit- of Leviticus. I've already thrown you the rope. Christ is that rope. And so I pray that you would read it in light of Christ so that you may get through it. Here is uh, my final prayer tonight. May our walk through Leviticus cause you to grow in your knowledge of redemptive history and grow in the joy of your Redeemer. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that He is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.